You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. Jazz. It's all about the jazz, huh? <laughs> Alan Seiler. Sorry, it's all about the baseball. <laughs> Veronica Daschle. Hi. And we're joined by a special guest this week, Nita, host of Sci-Fi Queens. Welcome. Hey. Thank you. Thank hey, you. Nita. It's great to be here. How are you yeah. guys doing? We are fantastic. Yeah. So excited to have you. Absolutely. Now, we're going to be talking about the DS9 documentary, What We Left Behind Tonight. But yes. first, Nita, how did you get into Star Trek? Okay, so I'm an original series girl. Um, okay. Welcome. Well, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I got into Star Trek with because of my brother. He was ten years older than I, so he controlled the TV, and he was <laughs> a big sci-fi nerd. You know, Star Trek, Star Wars, the whole gamut of, you know, the late, uh, the, actually the mid to late seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, so he puts on Star Trek. I remember being sitting in front of the TV on the floor, and. Trouble with Triples comes on. (laughs) And I see this beautiful Uhura. And she looks like family members that I have. Mm. And she's gorgeous. And you hear my father and my brother in the background talk about how gorgeous she is. And (laughs) then you have Spock, who who won't love a Spock at five years old? (laughs) You know, and Kirk and all of these characters. And I love the fight scene. That they had, you know, mm-hmm. when they were defending the actual Enterprise ship. I, I, I was completely taken over by Star Trek at that point and uh, been a fan ever since. Nina, wow. you mean the, the fight scene that's still going on, probably? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the original series was your first Star Trek. What is your favorite uh-huh. Star Trek? Deep Space Nine. Okay. That's why oh, it has okay. to be on tonight. Right. Oh, right. I said absolutely tonight. <laughs> Space Nine is my favorite. I mean, who doesn't love D Space Nine? Doesn't right. understand D yeah. Space Nine. Yeah, everybody <laughs> here loves Star Trek. <laughs> right. Star Trek. Because I think D Space Nine incumbents all of what Star Trek and all of the Federation belief into this show. Mm. And it shows you all of those beliefs in play together alongside family life. Mm. And it gives you religion, which never really happened in Star Trek. It mm-hmm. gives you different cultures and, and alien races that you hear about, but you never really f- fully understood or had a real understanding of their culture. Mm. It gives you, it had the opportunity to expand on all these characters. And who doesn't love Cisco? Hello, Cisco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it's kind of funny. The network. It, it, yeah. And it's funny. The reason you love it is the reason people hated it originally. Oh yeah. yes. <laughs> I, I'll have. I'll be honest. When I was excited when they had announced um, the Space Nine originally, and then I said, "But they're not going anywhere. It's not <laughs> space travel." 
what's happening, I don't understand. Mm. But when you give it an opportunity to really kind of sink in um, and really take in what they're trying to do, you do learn to appreciate that they're standing still. Yeah, yeah. There's there's definitely some benefits to that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that's true, Nita. We've talked about on our show several times that sometimes people understandably misunderstand what Star Trek is because Star Trek, by definition, doesn't have to be on a spaceship. It's really the, the journey. And mm-hmm. that, journey, that journey is a journey of discovery and a journey of cooperation and so forth. And you don't have to be in a ship to go somewhere for that. And that's what Deep Space yeah. Nine proves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what character outside of Cisco in Deep Space Nine did not encompass that journey more. Yeah. He went through so much to get to becoming emissary. I'm not a fan of the ending, but that's okay. <laughs> yes, yes. I have learned to accept that I can change it. Right. Um, they did my Cisco wrong, but that's okay. It's not, <laughs> not his fault. It's not his fault. Um, you know, and and he he was amazing. Um, mm-hmm. You saw so many different diversities of humans, diversity in alien races, diversity in in religious belief and cultures, and the way things are done. It, it really expanded your mind and, and really made you understand how big the universe in Star Trek is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they allow the characters to be people, which is absolutely. Awesome. I mean, yes. so many of the characters on Deep Space Nine have families that are part of the show, yeah. and varying family unions from the Cisco <laughs> to the O'Briens yeah, to absolutely. the Ferengi to even you know people like um, Worf and Jadzia. Like there was a lot of family dynamics in the show, and so that's something we, that Frank and I talk about a lot, and we talk about on the show is you'll have scenes in the runabout when they're heading someplace, and they're just talking about their lives. That's not yeah. a plot point. It doesn't play into <laughs> mm-hmm. the grand arc of the season or anything like that. Whereas it seems like there's other Star Trek shows where it's it's difficult to let the characters talk uh-huh. about something that's not part of the plot. You exactly. know, just let them live as the character. Let us let us experience them as people for a little bit. And you can't really do that if you're on a spaceship because you're limited on your resources and your experiences. Mm. Yeah. Um, because if you really think about it. They spend more time on that spaceship than they do in actual planets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So if there's that experience and interaction with other cultures and other species is limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, while in D Space Nine, you can really have a Cardassian Taylor slash <laughs> spy. Right. You can have a Ferengi barkeep. You know, you yeah. can have. Uh, you know, a Bajoran shrine. Mm-hmm. You can have a Klingon restaurant. <laughs> you can have all these wonderful things, and it's okay because yeah. you're in a station. They get to experience, and people are coming and going. It's you know, and it kind of so so showed you the little bit of the darker side of Starfleet mm-hmm. because they were forefront of most battles that was going on. Mm-hmm. You know, and they and a lot of the people that were in station in D Space Nine had already experienced well with the Borg and the Cardassians and so many other things that they were going through that PTSD and that experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, when the battle came with, even with um, the Dominion, you saw that, you saw that, you saw that Mm -hmm. happening. And I think it, it gave the world a different perspective and representation. 
Yeah. You guys, what you saw us said about, and by the way, folks who are listening, uh, we're going to swallow the heck out of DS9. <laughs> obviously. But you, uh, Charles, you said something very interesting on Nita's point about family, because I remember the Maquis episode is when Cisco and Goldicott were going to confront the Maquis and Goldicott was basically saying he was going to take one of his kids to Cardassian Disney World. And he can't <laughs> because he's on this mission. And he says, basically, all my son's going to remember is that his dad wasn't there as promised, basically because you Federation guys are screwing around with our life. I mean, this is Goldicott's strange point of view. But Cisco says, I didn't know you had a kid. And Dakot then treats Cisco like Cisco's being wrong. But he's like, oh, I, yeah, I'm just as evil Cardassian. I guess you don't think we have kids. Which is, <laughs> and then later on, he has another kid that he's thinking about killing. So it's a very <laughs> interesting show. Yes. <laughs> right. But family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But well, that is family, though, because you'll find family that will support you and be with you and be a Cisco kind of dad. And then you have families where they have the Goldicott of dads <laughs> um, and they're represented <laughs> even there. There is a, no lack of representation in this show. Yeah, I remember dad when I said, hey, Ma, Juanita, I don't know if we should kill Keith or not. But <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> remember, Goldicott had like seven sons, he mm-hmm. said. Yeah. And he had yeah. the one daughter who he was going to kill because she was the daughter of the Bajoran mistress. Yeah. Right, right. Mm-hmm. She had the nerve to be born. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Plus, that baby that was miraculously born on the. Yeah, that was a creepy episode. That episode creeped me out. That was a creepy episode. I forgot about that. Yeah, well, tonight we're talking specifically about the the documentary, What We Left Behind. Now, did everyone see the documentary when it came out? I did. I unfortunately had to leave Chuck behind Mm -hmm. to so he could (laughs) go to his daughter's chorus concert. Yeah. Yeah, we we bought tickets in advance and then the chorus concert ended up being the same night. So I sent Veronica off to watch Deep Space Nine and I went to watch a bunch of seven year olds sing (laughs) or seventh graders sing. So you're clearly a dad of the Cisco model. (laughs) Right. Cisco would not have skipped the chorus concert, so I can't either. (laughs) I didn't see it when it originally came out, but I saw it later on. Okay. Yeah. I didn't see it when it originally came out either. And I've actually never seen the whole thing before. Oh, but have you now? I sure have. Yeah. (laughs) I saw the whole thing. Yeah, it was good. I really loved um, the way they did the opening Mm. with um, those guys singing um, and and pulling in songs. I'm not using the right words. Okay. Well, yeah, I've heard criticisms of the show, of the documentary before, that it's a bit self-indulgent. That, you know, do you need to spend time letting... um, you know, Max Grodenchicks sing a song at the beginning of the documentary. Should, it, but I think who cares? <laughs> you know, yeah. But isn't that the whole point? Wants to sing during the whole thing, I'm good. Right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it isn't that the whole point of a documentary is to self indulge in that topic and really yeah. delve into it and and really showcase it, right? Mm. Yeah. And to give you that information. So if that's what they think, they're kind of on point. Yeah. Well, I think there there are document. I mean, if you're looking for a documentary that's like a a factual recounting, you know, <laughs> f- of the making of the show, maybe this is that will be a snoozer. <laughs> it could be, but I would watch it. Yeah, that's, I, would watch I would watch it too because I'm a Trekkie. Yeah. But it the, the, would this be a is snoozer. more a celebration of the show. Yes. And what I mean, could really happen a- after those actors and the creators of the show. So for, for so long, it's been the dark horse of Star Trek. 
you know, where right. it's just little things like it'll be get left off of promotions. You know, they'll have a, a graphic of the captains and there's no Cisco and <laughs> things like the, the fan reaction in the nineties, which I didn't know about at the time because I was a kid and I just watched it. I just liked it. But I, I think they're entitled to a victory lap because mm-hmm. I think of all the, the shows, their show has stood the test of time more than a lot of the other Star Trek series have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they were up against other shows that really was hard to compete with. And mm-hmm. they stood there. You know, they, they did better than Star Trek Enterprise did. Mm, I, I agree with you. Yes. <laughs> oh no you're a welcome on the show <laughs> but they did i'm not a i'm not a star trek enterprise hater but there was a lot of times where you had to be like okay just just bear with the episode maybe the next one will be better like <laughs> and in the storylines were and i understood why because you know they were pre Kirk and they didn't have the prime directive and there was a they were kind of like in chaos. Sure. And but it was a little too noticeable for me, the well, chaotic feeling. And and these space that really stuck there and they really grew and they, they really were captivating. And I think that you know they had the first black captain. Mm-hmm. Um and then they didn't start him out as a captain, which kind of initially bothered me when I first because I said, wait a minute, he was supposed to be a captain. Why is he a commander? Right. You know, and I immediately said, well, cause that's a black man. They didn't want to make him a captain. Like I got all huffy about it, but I liked <laughs> the fact of how they did it. They mm. progressed him and they grew him and they promoted him and you mm. saw his growth and you really didn't need to be a captain if you were on a space station in command. Cause he was a captain. His way of command didn't change from commander to captain. He was who he was. Right. Yeah. You and know? I, I- um, Iris even bear was saying something on the episode because I was watching a little bit of it earlier um, about how some people were complaining when he was promoted to captain because commanders um, are at space stations and captains are on ships. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't I'm assuming that's kind of why they started with that. But uh, but they felt like he should progress. So. What? Yeah, well, they gave him the defiance, so mm-hmm. it even yep. killed true. right there. Yeah, and the defiant was pivotal in winning a lot of battles. Mm-hmm. So that's true. Yeah, I think from a television perspective, um, like the original plan was that the commander of the station would be more of a Riker, like a younger commander. But once they cast Avery Brooks, um, <laughs> I mean, he, you don't buy him as a Riker; you buy him as as the captain, right? But yeah, also, hey, I th- he was Hawk. Don't right. mess yeah. with Hawk, That's okay? Right. <laughs> but but also, That's I think there was there was some concern among the like, executives that you don't want to have two captains. It's confusing to have two captains. But I I think that's stupid. Like no no one's going to exactly. confuse. No one is. Jean-Luc Picard with Benjamin Sisko. You know? no. Oh, no. And, you know, can I just say that I kind of like that interaction that he had with Picard in mm-hmm. that first scene? Um, because we give a lot of credit, and credit is due, when in Star Trek Picard, when the captain confronts Riker and Picard and calls them space cowboys and da-da. And, you know, he told him what was, and, and he was true to the fact he confronted them. He didn't say anything that wasn't right about them, okay? That he was rude, maybe, yeah. But he had his, his, he had his personal reasons for getting to saying what he said. But it was Cisco who first did that. Right. It was Cisco who first made Picard realize that his locutus self 
was still hurting people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, he walked uh, away f- from that conversation by turning around, but I think it was there. I think he imprinted. I think the Irish Stephen Bear thing was was very interesting because I was, as they say, I was good and grown when DS DS9 came out. And I remember the the controversies, the whole thing about it was a it was a place that went nowhere and people hated that. And I remember on the message boards at the time the the whole thing about Avery Brooks. And as you said, Charles, what Ari Stephen Barrett said was they wanted a younger person because they wanted a commander. They wanted somebody to grow. And then he came in and I like the line he said was, oh, he was a captain. Mm-hmm. And they interviewed, they realized they had a captain. But then, of course, they had to take the time to get there. And then it was the whole thing. I thought the, the thing about his hair uh, or lack thereof <laughs> was very interesting. And I absolutely remember at the time feeling that way and still feeling that way as a black person. And trust me, a lot of my black friends, the first thing was, why is the first black person feature have to be a commander, not a captain? And it was right. a big deal. It was a big deal. It was deal. a huge deal. Yeah. And then the whole thing with the hair. And I also find it very interesting, even though I know a lot of the network absolutely was concerned that he looked too much like Hawk. I yes, thought it was very interesting that say. Rick Berman also straight up said there was a lot of conversations at the network about black men and their hair. And so I think that there was a little concern that he was bald with a goatee. He looked a little too menacing. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this a billion times, but once, and even in a documentary, you see it as soon as that man goes bald with a goatee, Avery Books walk. It's just yes. different. It's just it's a different. whole different vibe. Yeah. And I love what, and, and I love in the documentary, although I thought, I wish, um, what's her name, Penny Johnson wasn't in, yeah. in it enough for me. I like when she said, ooh, I just wanted to touch his head. <laughs> 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 yeah. It's so true. I love her, Penny Johnson. She's one of my she's favorites. Yeah. Um, and she's yeah. amazing. I thought the love interest was perfectly done. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it's, sometimes in TV, love interest, especially in Star Trek, can be creepy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yep. Okay. Neelix and oh, mm. yeah. Nope. Let's not go and, there. Um, yeah. No, <laughs> we're not even going to touch that. That has all kinds of wrong on there. Um, and there's just a few that always made me kind of wonder, like, why? Mm. That's creepy. Um, but this was perfectly done. I think they were perfectly suited as characters for each other. They were both captains. They were both people of, that were well established, knew who they were, and they weren't growing together emotionally, but they were, were growing together in other areas of their life. Mm-hmm. And I think they also respected that they were captains and they, uh, of their, you know, in their own world. And they had to respect that. And I thought that that was fantastic. Um, I love Penny Johnson, but going back to the hair, you are absolutely correct, Keith. When he came in that episode shaved with that goatee, that blew my mind. I said, oh, my God, he (laughs) looks amazing. But he had this walk that you can feel his authority. Mm. Um, And, you know... It's interesting that I feel in a sense by not allowing him, Avery Brooks, to bring the character of Cisco bald with a goatee, whether he looked like Hawk or not, was taking away a little bit of that character's power mm. and kind of saying, we're going to rein in that power. And I, I, I don't know. I have some kind of feelings about that. <laughs> um, and it feels... It's uncomfortable mm. um, as a Trekkie uh, to feel that they're kind of reining in 
that power on someone because <laughs> it opposite to what tra- Star Trek is about. Yeah, it was funny because it's funny how people see things and voice things. They showed one African-American gentleman who was a writer and exec producer. And he was the one that he's out in the grass. And he said, he said, oh, when I heard about Avery Brooks, I'm thinking they got Hawk and he's going to be driving some kind of we was doing some weird stuff about the spaceship. And he's got a <laughs> silver plated phaser. And then he goes, and then we get this boring dad. And I thought that was interesting. But what, what really struck me was Cole Meany, who seems like he pulls no punches. Cole Meany sat there and said, well, you know, the, the network, well, they um, well, they were trying to basically make him an Uncle Tom kind of yes. story. <laughs> wow. He was okay. absolutely right. <laughs> you said he it. He was absolutely right. But you see, he can say it. He's at a seating of privilege mm-hmm. where he could say it. And I was glad that someone wasn't afraid to say it, you yeah. know, and say, yeah, that's exactly what they were doing, you know. Right. Um, but the thing is that I think that making him a dad it's actually a good thing because it brings yeah, I agree. home back that image of mm-hmm. specifically the black father. Because yeah. television-wise, there was this image um, of black fathers being absentees and leaving their families. And, you know, oh, you don't know who your dad is because he's not around. <laughs> and, and this, and it was real. This was the image that was portrayed on television. What people don't, you know, the younger generation don't understand. This is the image that was portrayed. And this was what was being conveyed. And this is what people were trying, were, you know, thought of themselves. You know, this is who we are as black people, men who leave their sons. And, th- and that wasn't what's happening in reality. And here he brings in this new image of, no, I stay with my son. I'm going to raise him. I'm going to take care of him. We're going to have a good relationship with one another. And there's a lot of people, even young men who are not African-American, who felt this is the dad I always wanted and Mm -hmm. looked up to Avery because he was able to make that relationship not about color, but about fatherhood. Mm -hmm. And that was really important. I mean, I've spoken to Trekkies, male Trekkies say he was the only father figure I had. And, 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 they are not African-American. So, yeah, it is important to bring those images um, mm. in a diverse way. And that's what one of the many things that makes these space nine so amazing. And it, it it just blows my mind. Deep Space Nine, always. Yeah. Star Trek, like so much Star Trek, like so much science fiction fantasy has the whole thing with the, the uh, when it's a male, there's a thing with the father. They have a problem with the father or the father's dead or something like that. And so Picard had problems with his father. Spock had problems with his father. Riker. Yeah, the less said about Worf and Alexander, the better. (laughs) (laughs) Poor kid. Uh, (laughs) Talk about a man who not only was raised by humans and he's Klingon, but didn't even know he was a dad. Now he has a full-grown kind of five-year-old kid coming, and he doesn't know what to do with him. And he doesn't know how to how to. And there's no one there to help him, which I always thought was weird. There's nobody on that starship that can sit Worf down and say, "Okay, we're going to help you through this as men." Right. Yeah, I, I want to get on that point, but before that, we've we've got some comments from Tiger Blades 2002 in the comments yeah. that we've been. It, the conversation just going, so I was trying not to interrupt. <laughs> right. So Wayne said Sorry. hello to everyone, and then Hi, he Wayne. said, hey. I thought the four actors that sang at the beginning and the end of the documentary were fantastic. A yes. rather enjoyable point of view from the cast. <laughs> and then said, uh, now Wayne Great. is a uh, military veteran, and said, if you command a ship or station in the naval forces, they were often called captain or skipper. There you go. Regardless of rank. And then um, 
commented um, through Avery Brooks, I saw my relationship with my son on TV, and I thank him for that. Aw. You see how beautiful that is? I just want to say, Keith, you're talking about uh, a a trope about fatherhood in Trek. That was a very prevalent trope Mm -hmm. in television. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and every time you are watching a new series and a, a father and a son are introduced they're always estranged every yeah. damn time yes to yes. the point where i just got sick of it mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. this this idea that men can't be dads yeah yeah well and, and it's also the idea that that's the baseline for how to create a dramatic show yes that's a way to give character depth like they right. can't ever think of a different angle than that right. yeah you make a good point. That's a, a, a an avenue they, they I wish they would have gone down would be Cisco advising Worf about raising yes. his son because it's 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 notorious yes. among Trekkies yes. that Worf was a terrible father. Yes, it was a fantastic father. That would have been some really great scenes between those two actors. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I'd never thought about that before. Yeah, I'd never had either. I yeah. mean, think about it. They're, they 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 went as far in Star Trek to address uh, mental health. And making being going to counseling a very normal, very, you know, just kind of part of the process thing. And you're telling me that you can't get someone who's actually a guy who's actually a dad and single dad to say, let me step in here and help him with that. That I always found that a little odd because mm-hmm. they did have Deanna help him, but I don't think she really understood Klingons. True. And 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 the idea of raising a Klingon child who's part human in a human environment was a bit out of her league. But I mm-hmm. think if anyone understood Klingon, it was it was definitely Cisco. Mm-hmm. One thing I liked in the documentary when they were talking about Avery Brooks, and I think we've all seen him in person at least once at, at, at yeah. cons, and everybody knows that Avery Brooks is absolutely a different kind of person. <laughs> <laughs> they kept saying, when Avery yes. Brooks, yeah, he acted and he said, it was like, jazz, jazz. And I love Casey Biggs, who looks almost nothing like DeMar. It was so weird to look at Casey Biggs. But it sounds exactly like DeMar. Yes, yes. yes. And when Casey Biggs said he was having trouble getting this one line, and he just couldn't get it right, he says Avery Brooks comes over and goes, just glide, Diggs, just glide. <laughs> Okay, that sounds like it. And then he also would tell them, and then, uh, um, um, gosh, uh, Jeffrey Combs said he would go, just slalom, man. It's just like a slalom. <laughs> I can see Amy Brooks directing like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then when when the, um, I think it was the 80, um, from when he was directing Ooh. for that first time, and she was like, I don't know what you want. And he's just like, this, this, and this. See? And she's like, okay, great. <laughs> Uh, that, that was great. And Al, I don't know if you remember that, but that, yeah, the AD was talking to, about how Avery Brooks came to her and basically said, I want you to make sure I have everything I need. Yes. She, goes, she goes, I don't <laughs> know it? what you need because you never talk. She says, I ask you something. And he's like, you don't want to talk to me. And then he goes, I guess you don't guess my sense of, you don't get my sense of humor. And she actually came back and said, sir, I didn't know you had one. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> and he loved her after that, evidently. He is so commanding. Yeah. That his presence is so commanding that it can be intimidating. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I think that that's something that works really well for him in character, mm-hmm. um, but can be very, very scary for a cast of, of actors that haven't been around as much as he has. There were very few actors on there that were as seasoned as he was. Right. Mm. Um, you know, Cork was a very seasoned actor, Mm -hmm. you know, um, there was a lot of them, you know, a couple of them that were, but didn't interact with him as much as those that were not as seasoned actors, um, like Jadzia. Yeah. I was going to say Terry Farrell, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember Terry talking about um, how, when she was working with him and the first time he called her old man, she had to pull him aside and be like, I, when you say it like that, I feel feel like i want to shrink or something like that and 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 he changed it to like more of a teasing thing that they ended up using and then Um, he smiles yeah yeah Yeah. and i love that moment when he calls her that for the first time and he smiles because it's i felt like that's what he was doing i felt like he was teasing her and he was like you know old man like hey i remember who you used to be kind of thing Um, which I think worked really well to establish that relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that had he said it old man and walked away with his very theatrical way, mm-hmm. I think it would have terrified people. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, and we're right at about the halfway point. So let's take a quick mm-hmm. break for a couple of commercials. And then we'll come right back and we'll get back into what we left behind. So stay right there. Pardon the interruption. We'll bring you back to your podcast in just a moment. But first, promo for the Cosmic Pizza Podcast. In the Cosmic Pizza Podcast, your pizza delivery guys, Dan, Sean, and Paul, serve you a slice of life. As we discuss literally anything in the universe. Conspiracy theories? Movies that we've liked. Women in comedy, voice actors, film directors and producers, authors. But what we don't talk about is pizzas. Wednesday, I'm here with you people. It's wild. And we're back. Now, Keith, you said that you had not seen what we left behind previously. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. You, when, when did you watch it for the first time? Today. So <laughs> what did you think? Like what, what was your what was your takeaway? I loved it. And I think what it what it really did for me is it reminded me so much of what um, Lightning in a Bottle, and I think I said on Facebook page that Lightning in a Bottle, the show was. And and we've talked about this Nita, so many times in our show. Every- Story that uh, Michael Berman, I mean, uh, Rick Berman, and uh, Brian Braga, who would have, I know, right? <laughs> Rick Berman and Brian Braga, who would have been micromanaging the show, ultimately went over on was spending their time with Voyager. Yeah. And you can see the change in Deep Space Nine as Pillar and Wolf and Iris Stephen Burr there got to do more with the show. Right. And it reminded me of so many things that they got to try that they might not have gotten to try, like the first relatively innocent lesbian kiss mm-hmm. in relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, as you were talking about family, I guarantee you Cisco would not have had that kind of relationship with his kid had Berman and Braga been running that show, mm-hmm. uh, despite Avery Brooks. And so I thought it was, it was wonderful. And what struck me is even now after decades is hearing people like Nana visitor saying the first time she read her character, she said, and I saw another interview with her with the guys from Enterprise where she said, she goes, are you sure this is right? She mm-hmm. literally said, are you sure this wasn't a man's role mm-hmm. and this is for me? And she said for the entire seven years. 
she would go in there going, this can't possibly be this character, this strong <laughs> character. And so I thought it was it was wonderful to hear these people talk about what the show did for them. Jeffrey, Andrew Robinson said in the documentary toward the end, he said that show helped to wipe away the bitterness and the anger that an actor, he as an actor would sometimes have against uh, Hollywood. Mm. And I just thought that was wonderful. So I thought it was a great retrospective to remember how they came together to create, in my opinion, the best, probably the best show. Mm-hmm. But also I was thinking about this. There's been so many Star Trek movies and franchises, but not and by nature, they can't all be groundbreaking. Mm. Like, I don't think TNG is a groundbreaking series. It's it's a good series, but it's not groundbreaking. The OS was groundbreaking because it was a first. Um, Voyager is not a groundbreaking show. It's just a different locale. DS9 is kind of groundbreaking for Star Trek with the stuff they yeah. did. And I came away just with renewed love for the show and and just gratitude that they managed to pull off something that in another life they would not have been able to pull off. So yeah. It was great. Yeah, I yeah. mean, G Space Nine, for one thing that it did for me that I will never, ever, ever be grateful enough for was, to be honest, that religious representation. Huh. It, it was because I grew up. In, you know, I was raised in the church and I don't, mm-hmm. not in church, I don't go to now, but I'm not religious now, but I didn't have a bad experience per se. So, you know, there were little things here and there, but nothing where I feel like I need to decompose and decompress all of my religious experience. And, um, and I don't have a bad negative kind of feeling and taste in my mouth of my past. Um, so it was the first time that I saw people who worshipped and, and went to church and had these convictions that I could say, I understand where they're coming from, or I, I kind of learned something similar to that. And, and I understood the Bajoran people and a level that if you don't have that experience, you may not quite get why they were so entangled with their religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got it and, and I understood it. And I, and I felt for the first time that I was being represented in that area of my life, um, you know, and I saw people of different colors and brown people, and that was a huge representation for me. Um, and seeing women like, um, you know, Kira and Dax and even, you know, Esri Dax, who were strong women um, and just amazing women and uh, just the different characters that they kept bringing in and um, just was amazing. You know, even Cassidy Yates, she was a strong woman and she was in Federation, but she was strong and she was living a successful non-Federation life, which is something that we also saw is how the people live if they weren't part of the Federation, if they didn't mm-hmm. live and work for the Federation. It was so it's it, the level of representation that you can find in one show. No show has ever done that before. And I don't think no, I don't think other than Discovery. Mm-hmm has ever been able to do it again. Right. Um, and I think that when it comes to Deep Space Nine and Discovery, they've got representation covered. Right. Yeah. Just covered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, a large part of the documentary was uh, the writers getting together for a single day mm. and uh, writing a potential what would happen if there was a season eight now. Oh, I wanted mm-hmm. that so bad. <laughs> I already disagree with all their choices. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. 
Really? Um, yes. I remember um, that came out the year that we had Aaron Eisenberg at Trekland, our mm-hmm. local convention, convention that we have here. So um, before the show, I, because no one else from Trekland came to like one of the only viewings in the Atlanta area, um, I went up and just without anyone saying anything, I just went up in the front and was like, hey guys, there's this really awesome Star Trek convention coming up. Aaron Eisenberg, who's going to be this documentary, he's going to be there, so come on out. And then we got to meet him, and then later that year he passed. Oh. Killed him on the documentary in in the in the season eight, and they did not have Odo in the season eight. He was off elsewhere. So the person they killed and the person they didn't put in it passed away that year. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, yeah, I, you're a murderer. That's what you're saying. <laughs> uh, that's what I'm hearing, Alan. I'm hearing that. I'm hearing her. I hear, I hear clear accusations. Yeah, yes. it's all circumstantial, though. We do yes. realize that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, absolutely. It's like I'm watching I, I agree with some of the things in their possible season eight. I did not agree that Kira will be okay yeah, no. being the leader of the Bajoran mm-hmm. religion as well no. as being in charge of D Space Nine. I think that she was strong opposed to those to a, a leader of Bayshore and a religious leader being combined. Yeah. She was strongly opposed to that. So I don't think she would take on that role. I think she would drop one of them and I yeah. don't think she's taking on the leader of the Bajoran uh, spiritual beliefs. I think she would have stayed on with the Space Nine. I agree. I think, I think that depends because I think that she would see herself as a reformationist and she would be able to see herself as I can come in and I can help make this situation better. But I think I, gr- I agree with you, even having said that, that she is a military minded person, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and yeah. she always struggled with her own faith. So I think that she would definitely stay, but here's the thing. That was my favorite aspect of the documentary was getting an insight even if you agree with what their their choices mm-hmm. are or not yeah. i loved seeing them sit around and hang on hang on i'm coming i'm coming oh you got it. Okay. We, we've Yay. got a, a, a hello i'm so in. sorry i'm late hey. i'm all right i ended up having to, to go you. to work oh um, no but oh, no. i figured you know it's been a really slow night I really wanted to make an appearance, so don't mind me. Nice. I'll, I'll yeah. jump in whenever you need me. Yeah, beaming in, beaming in in progress is Ash. Uh, welcome, welcome, Ash Pistachio. Welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, Ash. Hello, everybody. Hi, Ash. Hey. Live long and prosper. Yeah, same to you. <laughs> nanu, nanu. <laughs> nanu, nanu. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Good one. And we were just talking about the documentary, What We Leave Behind, and the um, – the, uh, the, the season the eight, they, yeah, the season eight that they would have done if they had been able to do it, and they were discussing the whole would Kira have become both a religious leader and still a military and commander of the station at the same time? What an interesting question, and I don't know, but I'm sure her outfits would have looked stellar. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's giving. She wouldn't have had the same outfit the entire time. Yeah. And I mean, it looked cool and everything. I yeah. thought it was funny that when she got pregnant, her hair was brown. <laughs> yeah, that is true. 
Remember why? <laughs> what happened there? Uh, she was pregnant in real life, and women yeah, were yeah, pregnant, I knew she was pregnant in real life with her hair. Normally, that oh, she was well, pregnant in real life to Bashir's son. Bashir, yeah, because they were married in real life. That's and right. Pregnant women don't normally dye their hair. Um, there's something with the toxins in the pregnancy. I don't really know the that details, so but I know that they stop dyeing their hair during pregnancy. The things you learn on Earth Station hey, Trek. That's yeah. right. There's <laughs> something new today. Yeah, for real. Wow. Jesus was just about to say that. One thing that was incredibly obvious that stood out about that season eight is they had theorized that Cisco was coming back 20 years later. And I wrote in my notes, you know damn well, Avery Brooks would have fought that tooth and nail. Right. He abandoned his wife and both yes. of his sons for 20. Yeah. And it wasn't gonna, because he he barely he barely did the ending that they wrote for him, which right. was that he that famous, I may be back on whatever, I may be back yesterday. Because I think you guys know that one of the things they truly considered when they were first doing the series that he was going to die at the end of D Space Nine. Right. He was yeah. gonna go out a hero, and Avery's like, not in this life. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so when they said he came back for 20 years, although his appearance, the way they wanted that, that's also a little deus, deus ex machina, the way he was going to come back. That sounded cool, but 20 years, nah. I, no, I, no, I agree with you. 20 years was not going to happen. He was going to fight with the, um, the prophets and he was going to win that argument with the prophets because he's always, if you listen to every conversation he's had with the prophets, he's always got his point across. He's always gotten what he's aimed for. He's always gotten his way, so to speak, with the prophets. He would have never, ever been gone 20 years of his son's life and his child to be's life that was not going to happen um and having cassidy Yates sit around and wait for him that was seriously <laughs> not gonna happen i'm sorry no do we not know the character cassidy Yates? that wasn't gonna happen and in universe no. he doesn't have to wait 20 years in our time that's the thing no. that makes no sense um yeah. what did y'all here i thought something really interesting and i wanted to know because alan and we've all talked about this too Nowadays, this opinion might be different, but they also were going to make Section 31 the big bad. I also was... don't like that. Uh, <laughs> no, I agree. No. that You know, every military operation needs a secret force to do things in secret. Mm -hmm. to protect, yeah, we're just talking about that a couple recover, weeks ago. To save people's lives, uh, to do things that are questionably moral. <laughs> But yet necessary, you know, that's why we have the CIA. Hi, CIA. We love you. Um, <laughs> it's the truth. I mean, really, yeah. it's the questionably moral group, right? And to make them bad, it doesn't fall in line. It, then they're not federation. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's they're my problem key. with Section 31 for sure is like, uh -huh. isn't the whole premise of Star Trek that like, we don't have to do messed up things that need to be kept secrets anymore. Obviously, right. in Deep Space Nine, we're at war. That's one thing. But in every other circumstance, like we wouldn't want to put Section 31 on display if we were the Federation. I, I just feel like finding the story in that instead of how we made peace is kind of like, all right, I guess it'll make an interesting story. <laughs> but it doesn't feel like it's, it's in the spirit of Trek. You know, it yeah. may not be in the spirit of Trek, but I think it's in, and I understand what you're saying. Um, but I think that realistically, if you look at, um, 
world of worldwide any country's military there's always a secret mi5 you've got cia you've got all these covert operations that do things that need to be done but need to be done overtly so i think that that's if they take section 31 and make it that yeah make it this covert little operation that do the things that need to be done then that's great but if you're going to portray them as the bad guy that doesn't sit well with me yeah i def- if it's like spies yes cool. I'm good with spies. I'm okay with spies. Yeah. Well, the things that we already have Starfleet intelligence or uh, Federation intelligence, you know, that um, you already have a covert branch of Starfleet that does intelligence work. So I don't think that I I think they they got by with Section 31 on the show because you were never 100 percent if it was just Sloan or if there really was (laughs) an operation, because even. You know, no one was real sure what Section 31 even was. Just this one guy shows up. Because it wasn't it just like this one or two episodes that they mentioned right. it. Yeah. And it has blown up since. Yeah. yeah. Now, Here's- I do want to grab a couple of comments real quick hmm. before we go too far. Um, from our friend Wayne in the comments. Um, now, Wayne had, had said just a little bit ago a, a question. It had been a couple of years since oh I had seen God. the documentary. Did they re-edit it? Because I remember it differently. I don't remember it differently. No, I think it was I well, think it's exactly the same now as it was when we saw it originally. But but where did Wayne watch it? That I don't know. That could be a factor. Okay. Yeah. You know? Yep. And then he said, I agree with Alan. Even of though course. I would love That's the most important comment right now. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I would love to see Cisco come back, I was not overly fond of how they proposed to reintroduce him. And then he said Nita has a point. However, in just about every incarnation of Trek, there was some kind of covert action during the series run. Yeah, and that's true. But I mean, like when um, when Kirk and Spock were doing a covert action, mm-hmm. they they weren't violating the principles of Starfleet. They were you know mm-hmm. violating the neutral zone, but they weren't you know killing children or something. <laughs> you know, like Section Thirty One will let a planet die, whereas Kirk and Spock would not have. And I think that's yeah. the, exactly. the difference. To me. Yeah, I think that the idea that um, these covert entities do things, like I said, that are morally questionable or allow morally questionable things to happen, is what they're if they're going. With that concept with Section 31, then I can understand it. Even though we have an intelligence um, department in uh, the Federation, that intelligence department does not operate really truly in secret because everyone knows about them and everyone knows what they do and they go and they announce themselves. I think that with Section 31, it's really, really kind of like covert spy kind of level where they're going to infiltrate the enemy, you know, and disguise themselves and, um, you know, really 1960s kind of CIA level MI6 yeah. type of mm. stuff, which I can understand, right? Because that that's actually the making of really good television right there. And so mm-hmm. really having to get movie. creative with. Yeah, with, you can get creative yeah. with that because you're not subject to um, the prime directive and all those things to a full extent the way Starship is. Um but if you're going to make them the bad guys, like yeah. really, truly outright, these are bad people. These are just, I'm not sure that I'm okay with that. 
Well, I find very interesting is you guys just expressed three different opinions. Nita, you're saying <laughs> you're saying that Section 31 should exist, but not but you don't want them to be quote unquote bad. No, Ash, Ash pretty much said Section 31 shouldn't exist in the Star Trek world <laughs> as she sees it. And Charles is kind of like they they use, they overuse them. It was better when it was Sloan and like those two those two burly dudes that we saw one time. <laughs> so we've got different opinions on Section 31. Yeah. But yeah. And you know, and I but I do think if they had rewritten that right now, of course, as you guys said earlier, with um, Aaron Eisenberg dying and uh, Renee Albergenois dying. They would have to rewrite it. But I do think if they rewrote season eight in 2024, they probably wouldn't use section 31 as the big bad because it's Mm -hmm. almost overdone now. Yeah. I I hope not. Um, And if, I mean, if they did, right. Mm -hmm. I think the one way that section 31, as uh, Nita was saying, you know, as long as they're not doing anything morally gray, cool. If they are, then it can exist. If the plot is that the Federation is trying to excise them like a wart, you know, (laughs) like, because, Ooh, the, the CIA crazy. isn't supposed to do the things that it does, especially exactly. not on American soil. But somehow they do, and then we hear about it freaking 30 years later. Exactly. <laughs> I don't want the Federation to be corrupt. I want the Federation to be actively going, stop! Stop doing that! <laughs> I think that would be really kind of interesting. There's so many examples throughout Star Trek of the Federation being the bad guys. <laughs> that is whether true it too. be organizationally or a rogue captain or a bad admiral or something. Or turning a blind eye to least, something. At least the Section 31 thing, depending on how it played out, when they say it the big bad, that can mean lots of different things. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It really can. But it, at least it's a different spin on the Federation is the one that's the evil they're not living up to their ideals, you know, Mm -hmm. and which that is a tiresome trope too. What's (laughs) exciting about section 31 is there. Section 31 is the con of D space nine. (laughs) And let me explain. Con was one episode in star Trek, the original series. It became such a hit that it became an entire movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It became a movie twice. (laughs) <laughs> in two different timelines. And potentially okay. more, depending on what you count as being a con. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. well, about con, you know, Wrath of Con, the man. No, yeah. I know, okay. I know. But they also right, did yeah. want to be cons several times. Yes. No, no. Um, trying to recapture that. Exactly. I mean, we've got two in the official movies of con, with Khan and him and all of his people. This is huge. It made such an impact. And Section 31 has made such an impact in Star Trek Deep Space Nine that the two episodes they have been has blown into and it has now inserted itself in Star Trek Discovery mm-hmm. and now probably an offshoot either TV show or movie. Um, and that's huge. Yeah. yeah, that is a storyline you want to capture and you yeah. want to get as a writer. I feel that. You know, I, I think... I love the Star Trek fandom so much because it's been around forever. And whenever the Star Trek fandom does something, later on, it becomes real. Like, (laughs) we're a powerful fandom. Mm -hmm. That's true. We've mastered manifestation, but not through magic, through sheer will. (laughs) (laughs) Good taste. um, We only have about. Uh-huh. Seven oh, minutes sorry, of the show left. So, um, so I just wanted to see if anyone had any uh, other thoughts about the documentary before we wrap it up. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I wanted to ask. Good. I wanted to ask that of Ash, since Ash, you came in um, a little later. Did Did you? Uh, was there? And that's a good question, Charles. Is there anything that stood out for you in the documentary, Ash? Not enough Jadzia decks. <laughs> <laughs> As always, I'm a salty person about the Jadzia decks story. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. You know? Yeah, me too. Unfortunately, maybe it's maybe it's the fact that I um, have a female. I'm not really sure what's going on with me gender-wise, but mostly female, right? Female experience. Uh, I feel like if I was dealt the hand that she was, where my producer is kind of a creep and we're not getting along and stuff, I'd be so crushed because of how much I love Star Trek. Mm. I can't imagine going through that. And, and I mean, I don't know. The point I'm trying to make is... What a shame. Um, I would, I want to watch nine, 10, 11 seasons of just Jadzia Dax doing stuff. Like, yeah. put her in the section 31 thing. I don't know how. Just figure out how to do it because then I'll watch the shit out of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, I did. Really, yeah, I love I, Star Trek, so that's all I have to say. I found it very, I did find it very interesting to follow up what you said when Terry Farrell said that this executive producer, when she was basically trying to negotiate a better salary, told her, you better sign. Uh, you better sign the contract because otherwise, you know, you're going to end up at Kmart. Uh, like, and and like that, that's and, that's so what? ugly. That is yeah. so ugly. Yeah, it is very ugly. Yeah, and when she started crying when she was in the room with the other people, mm-hmm. she was crying. Said, "I didn't want her to die, but I had to do this." And I also thought it was a very. Sometimes people don't think. I thought it was also interesting in the same room where she had just said that Renee Bergenois says. Well, she unfortunately left and whatever. But then when they brought Ezri in, there was like a bang. And he basically said it breathed new life into the show. For Jerry for, for a while. I like Ezri Dash, but she did not bring new life to the show. Yeah. Yeah. It really yeah. had no impact had they brought her in or not. She's a great actress. I've seen her in other things. She's wonderful. But that character did nothing for the show it like, differently. It yeah. didn't do, bring new life. It really mm-hmm. didn't. Really yeah, for me, tra- yeah, for me, Charles, what I came away with, we talked about the thing with Avery Brooks, but the other thing that I thought was amazing was Mark Alamo saying that he actually wanted a little more validation for his yeah. role because he kind of yeah. didn't, they, they never told him that you're doing a great job. And Iris Stephen Burr said, well, we kept bringing you back. We expanded your role. That was <laughs> right. good enough. And I wonder if that contributed to that incredible role. He seemed like he had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, yeah. he did. But I mean, Iris even very made a good point. Like that's how you know that the writers like you. They keep writing you. Yeah. <laughs> but I found it interesting that yes, Charles, you're right. Bringing you back is saying we like you. This is validation. But I like the fact that he stuck his gun and would not say it, not even in the documentary. Like he was like not going to say it because you you got what you wanted. You just want praise because you want praise and is mm. it going to happen? Yeah, because he, he did it. And when they were doing the uh, interview in L.A. Uh, uh-huh. during Comic-Con and he uh-huh. did it in the individual interview later. <laughs> and I received bear was like, wait, 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 wait. We already had this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I wanted to say, too, that I'm just really glad. That Nana Visitor put a stop to Kira and Dakot. Yes. Oh God, yes. yes. Indeed. Are we been doing episodes about yes. that? Now? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. a huge problem. Right. Dukat perfectly captures the guy you want to punch. Just like the German word is Bachpfeifen Gesicht. One word. I mean, <laughs> That's very a punchy big word. 
<laughs> I learned it when I was 12, and sometimes it just rolls around in my head. So there you go. Box spicy. <laughs> Right. I like that word, though. I think I'm going to use it. The well, please. We're almost please. to the end here. Uh, <laughs> thank you guys very much for joining us today. Now, Nita, I know you're the host of Sci-Fi Queens. Where can they people yeah. find you and where can they find Sci-Fi Queens? And also tell people what that is. Sci-Fi Queens is a podcast. You can find us on uh, YouTube. Uh, just youtube.com backslash at sci-fi queens and we talk about all things science fictions and but related to the female characters of science fiction uh in all genres whether that's gaming comic books books uh movies tv shows everything science fiction we've interviewed authors and painters and all these wonderful things um, i love that we also give, we have a segment that showcases a real female scientist doing something in today's world wow. um, and what she's doing, as well as sci-fi book recommendations that we do for our audience. So we're That's on so every other Friday at uh, 8 p.m. Awesome. And I'm going to follow find the shit out of you. <laughs> you can cool. find us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. Uh, all of the uh, Snapchat, just okay. sci-fi coins. Awesome. And Ash, thank you very much for joining us as well. But where, where can people find more of you? Thank you. I'm sorry I was late. Um, I'm on uh, TikTok as at clownunist. Um, you'll know me because my bio says at Astra Perespera. <laughs> uh, and I think that's pretty, you know. Um, and also on Instagram, I'm uh, clownunism. Okay. Wait. No, scratch that. Reverse it. It's okay. on TikTok. I'm Clownunism. On Instagram, I'm Clownunist. And I'm Ash Pistachio on Facebook if you like to read poetry. Uh, oh, nice. And that's it. All right, Keith, where can people find more of you? You can find me on, um, what is it now? X and <laughs> Instagram <laughs> and Facebook, primarily the ESO Network Facebook groups. And how about you, Alan? Well, go to www.cosmiccreative.com. K-O-Z-M-I-C creative.com. That's it. How about us, Veronica? Feltnerdy.com. That's actually a website now. Yep. And where you can see our schedule of upcoming shows. Yep. If you missed our shows this past weekend, we've got several coming up. And where else can people find us? Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. Yep. Where we just interviewed Glenn Gretland, the head of 7A Records, uh, which is the the... They released the premium uh, re re reissues of the Monkey Solo albums, amongst a lot of other things. And so look for that. Like the band, the monkeys? The yes. band, the monkeys. Awesome. I want to follow the shit out of that. Monkeying around. Yep. And I'm going to promote that on Sci Fi Queens as well. Yay. Oh, yay. I we think we have our. Podcast, so. Charles, I think we have our new promo for Earth Station Trek. I will follow the. <laughs> <laughs> Right, I'll follow the fuck out of that. <laughs> <laughs> Ron, do you have a closing for us this week? Glide, see? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Joining us on Thanks. Thursday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern. We'll be going live. We've got a lot of guests lined up over the next several weeks before uh, April the 4th, where we'll be jumping into the premiere of Star Trek Discovery Season 5. Yay. Yes. Thanks, all. Bye. Yes. Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. 
You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.